Bandwidth for this episode of Roadwork is brought to you by Linode, offering lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super fast network, automated backups, node balancers, and 24-7 support. I trust Linode with all of our infrastructure here at 5x5, and you should too. Special URL, promo.linode.com slash 5x5 to learn more and use the code 5x5 for a $10 credit. Thanks, Linode. Hello. Hey, John. Hey, look, it's Dan Benjamin. You're back. I don't know where you went, but it, you were gone, and now you're back. I was not gone. I did not go anywhere. <laughs> you you claimed to have called oh. and claimed I was offline, but the entire time I was you're just busily, you're just busily online. I've, not just here, not just waiting passively, but online, checking email and communicating with people. I figured you would be uh, eagerly anticipating the release of the JFK documents that are happening today. Uh, no. You know, usually with that kind of thing, I am not a first responder. No? No, no. I let people uh, do the – I let people do the reading and then uh, once they digest it – then I read their reports. And if there's something confusing in the documents, they'll usually publish the confusing part. Right. And then you kind of, and then if it's like, oh, you kind of have to read it all, I'll reluctantly dig in. But no, no, no. That's what, that's what people, that's what people are for. They do the work for each other. So not everybody in the country has to read the new budget. There are people that do that for us. Well, I'm excited to hear whatever comes out of this, aren't you? I what? mean, these are the fi- the JFK files. These are the JFK files. Mm. This is a big deal. It could be a big deal. Mm. What went on uh, back then? Mm. It's a mystery. Mm. Mm. Are you just you're confident in what we've been told about about the JFK assassination? You're confident. You feel like what's out there is the truth. I don't feel that if what's out there isn't the truth, that a new trove of documents is going to somehow shed a bunch of light on it. Mm. Because if they want, if what's out there isn't the truth, Dan, and they, they, in quotation marks, they went to all the trouble mm-hmm. to like, like spell out this enormous, far reaching octopus of a assassination plot. Or whatever else. Sure. Why are they going to sit? Why are they going to sit back now and let some trove of documents reveal anything about it? Maybe because there's nothing they can do about it. Laws are laws, right? Doesn't it have to become public after a certain amount of time? It has to be or. or Well, sure. But laws are laws that prohibit them from killing the president of the United States, too. Uh-huh. They, they've clearly not. If the conspiracy is to believe, be believed, they were not uh, inhibited by not only the law, but also like a lot of other things besides. Right. But it, won't these documents at least show what the CIA and FBI knew or thought or attempted or tried? Oh, maybe i mean do you think i think it's much more likely that if the documents show anything they will show like a mass confusion on everyone's part and basically confirm that it was lee harvey oswald if if you're expecting that the documents will say yes we replaced the doctor 
at Bethesda with our own secret autopsy doctor who stitched up the holes and put some back of his head back on and made it seem like the bullet came from a different direction. Moo ha ha ha. I don't think that there are going to be any documents that, that say that. See, I don't know. I think that there might be. Really? Yeah, I think there might be. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm overly, usually I'm a, I'm a neutral or pessimistic when it comes to things like this, but I'm, I don't know. I'm a little bit uh, interested in, in this. Hope springs eternal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, you know, are we going to see something that says Oswald did not act alone? Probably not. They kind of, you know, but there was a lot of other, as, as you would say, tomfoolery Mm -hmm. that went on. And I would like to know what the tomfoolery was exactly. (laughs) Um, And so that's, I'm curious to find out about. Yeah, you just strike me as such a conspiracy theory guy, and you're not. And I, fe- I, I feel like you are, but you're closeted about it. And one day it's gonna, you're gonna slip a little bit, <laughs> and it's gonna come out how seriously into this stuff you are. But like part of your, you know, exterior is to act like you don't care about it, but really it's the only thing you care about. The thing is, I do read. Every conspiracy theory. Yeah. I do pursue every conspiracy theory to uh, the very end of the dirt road at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Like I've read it all and I've gone there with everybody and I've sat there, you know, toying with my little Lyndon Baines Johnson doll. <laughs> yeah. Of in the course. middle of the night, like <laughs> grabbing him around the throat and asking him, did you do this? Did you do this? Lyndon? Did you have a did you have a hand in this somehow? Uh, but at the end of the day, when you get up there, you're always offered a choice, which is do you believe the outlandish seeming like narrative, conventional narrative, or do you believe the equally outlandish or more outlandish sounding theory? Of an ant, or in the case of the JFK assassination, the like implausibly outlandish mm-hmm. 50 theories. Right. And in those moments, you realize, I think at least I check all the boxes and say, any one of these JFK theories is plausible, even though implausible ones are plausible. Right, sure. But if any of them were true, there would be one more bit of confirming data, one more piece to each of them to solidify the case. And in each instance, that one piece of of data that does not need an elaborate interpretation that does not rely on a blurry photograph, that does not rely on the nar- a, a, a narrative that's, that's already hinged on a, on a narrative that requires a leap of faith. You know, like, and the number one thing is these, these widespread conspira- conspiracies that involve, that would require that 100 people knew at some stage 
of the thing. A hundred different people would have to know that this was happening. You couldn't just logistically pull it off unless you had like underlings who knew, who knew, who knew enough of the story that in the subsequent 60 years of speculation, 55 years, that one of those people who ha- who played some small role in it would go, hey, wait a minute. Right. Like my the thing that I did that day, that when I removed that bottle of window washing fluid from the 13th floor of the Hilton Hotel, that was actually the thing that set this in motion. Like somebody, and I know, I know there are probably people listening who have a list of 25 of those people who have come forward and said, I moved a bottle of window washing fluid that day. And I believe that was the butterfly that, that flapped its wings in China. And then even more compellingly, that person died in a mysterious house fire mm-hmm. only six months later. Like there's plenty of that, but there's just never that incontrovertible sort of, this is too, um, this person who has no self-interest, who has no, who is not like clearly like relishing the drama, who isn't, um, who isn't like a, a completely unreliable narrator or one with a, one with a political motivation or whatever else just sort of says like, here's some proof, uh, that on that day, like I was, I was hither, I was asked to do the thither by so-and-so and I can kind of, and I'm reliable. And in the absence of that, it's like, how would a hundred people, and then, and then with, with every passing year, you know, it would require that those people never tell their kids that, you know, that somehow you would keep this giant press gang of conspirators, none of whom could have been told in advance. You're going to keep them all quiet and sworn to secrecy by some mafia bond or some threat of CIA. You know, it's just like, or did this nut job manage to pull off a kind of unlikely series of shots. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I don't walk away from it moved to join the the conspiracy because because the suggestion of that 100 people and all of their individual secrecies and confidence also then requires that you believe that there are secret extra governmental powers which are which also require the complicity of thousands and not thousands of like members of the trilateral commission but thousands of just custodians and drivers and gunsmiths and you know just like people that aren't that don't stand to gain by maintaining a lifetime of like KGB level quiet. Right. So it requires not just that you believe that all these sort of incidents like, Oh, the grassy knoll, there was somebody saw a puff of smoke and looked over and there were two men and then they ran and I couldn't catch them because I 
was not on roller skates or I was on roller skates. Like all that stuff you go, oh, right, right. That seems, that seems like an eyewitness. But what it suggests is that the mafia and the Cubans and the CIA and Lyndon Johnson are conspiring to murder the president because he, because of the Bay of Pigs and Vietnam and his unwillingness to, or his supposed unwillingness to support the military industrial complex, although he had, he certainly hadn't shown a disinclination to support them up to that point. So, and that, and that requires that you believe that the Rothschilds hmm. are financing and right. now we're into the full on Illuminati. Yeah. And then the reptiles and come next. You can't have one without the other, right? Because if you follow any one of those threads, which is just like, I think Woody Harrelson's dad was pretending to be a hobo that day. And you're like, it kind of does look like Woody Harrelson's dad. I believe it. Well, you can't do that and not also believe that. Yeah. That the Illuminati are sitting in a giant room somewhere in burn, uh, where, <laughs> where naked men in math in hoods, black hoods serve them baby brains while they rule the world. And it's just like, or it could have been Lee Harvey Oswald, a clearly troubled former Marine who thought he wanted to be a communist. You know, like it's not a good story is the thing. Yeah. The it's not as interesting. It really, no, it's a terrible story, but like I've been on, uh, I've been watching on the internet all this conspiracy theories about the Las Vegas shooter, and it's just like you say, it's because I love conspiracy theories. But watching them unfold in real time, like when I when I heard the first reports of it, I went immediately to 4chan mm-hmm. and the B message board mm-hmm. where I lurk. And within minutes of the first shots, there was someone on 4chan who said, that's not an automatic weapon. I believe what you're hearing is bump fire from a, from a modified legal gun with a bump shoulder, uh, you know, a bump modification. Mm Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had never heard of that modification of a gun. And if the shooting wasn't still going on, it had only just ended. And this person, you know, an anonymous, correctly identified by the sound of the gun, uh, what then it turned out took a couple of days to, to, to be revealed to the popular press that this was a kind of legal modification of this gun. And he could, this, this Anon had that had enough experience in these matters, right. To listen to and know that it wasn't right. And be able to tell you how you would get there. So there's a lot on this kind of this side of the web. That's there are people with a lot of knowledge And so, you know, I don't go to Twitter anymore for the news. I used to really love it there. But 
it's not that the it's not that the news is unreliable there, although it is, but it's just that there's <laughs> too much commentary and not enough reporting. In places like 4chan, where 94% of what you're reading is completely unreliable, you do you are able to see that 6% that's really in the moment and interesting, and then you, you see it confirmed. But this, the conspiracies about this guy and the, the immediate attempts to tie him into the larger ongoing stories, conspiracy stories about how the world functions – and how this was, there were the, there were the false flag people and there were the George Soros people and there were the, you know, watch the news and wait for them to say this and that will confirm this. When in fact, if they say that on the news, it doesn't at all confirm right. the other thing that they're saying. But they're kind of laying that groundwork so that vulnerable people will read that. And then when the, when the cop comes out in the press conference and says, Oh, that note on the bedside table, it wasn't a suicide note. It was a series of computations of trajectory. The person who said, wait for them to tell you it's not a suicide note, that will prove that this is an operation, mm-hmm. a, a CIA operation. Then they can go C, C, C. Um, and if they're proved right, if the, if the cop had said like, oh, it was a suicide note then that person would go, oh, sure, that's what they want you to think. You know, they're never wrong. A conspiracy theorist is never proved wrong. Because, <laughs> because I, like, I like that. You know, when they are proved wrong, it just proves how right they are about how there's some, you know, there, it, there's just some other angle or some other level of deceit that, that um, is covering their tracks. So, I mean, I, I chew it up. I spent, I spent a long time looking at whether the moon landing was faked. You know, I I have two, I have two. And I totally, especially when it comes to something like that, when you talk about the, the fact that so many people would have needed to have been involved and how bad, how bad people are at keeping even the most inconsequential secrets like Oh, there's a cake for Bill in the break room. Better not tell him about it. That gets out. That gets leaked. Um, and yet hundreds of people, if not more, could keep these things a secret. That's the problem that I always have. And whenever I talk to people about it, I am very much in the camp of I want to believe. That, uh-huh. is, that is me in a nutshell. And to quote Fox Mulder's poster, I want to believe but I am also very, very skeptical for the reasons that you're describing. The fact that it often requires so many people to keep something a secret so effectively and for so long and never mention anything, never tell anyone anything, taking it to their graves. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's such a, it's such a tough it's such a tough thing because a lot of the time I think there is some kind of a cover up going on. Sure. There's a lot of fun to that feeling. Yeah. But I, but wouldn't the world be a a boring place if some of this stuff wasn't going on? Well, what's interesting about the moon landing is the moon landing itself is a way better story than the conspiracy. (laughs) Like the JFK assassination is a terrible, boring story. 
unless you put all this conspiracy on it. The conspiracy makes it fascinating. It's why we still love that story. It's so it's so lame how it how it went down. But the moon landing, like we managed to get these people all the way to the moon and down and back up and home. And and of the people that went to the moon and put their feet on it and they all made it back. Not a one died. That's a that's in some ways the greatest thing that mankind ever did. Like by far the greatest thing. I don't understand why we don't have regular parades celebrating it still. And the fact that NASA could be underfunded because of some budgetary bullshit or that we could limp into the space shuttle program and then even with that three-legged dog accomplish all the great space science that we did with this thing that was like, oh, well, we didn't – we kind of had this great idea for this rocket plane and we settled on this sort of school bus with with wings – that's fine though. And we built this space station. It's not quite a giant like orbiting gravi- self-gravity producing space station where, where people, you know, where Pan Am jets d- uh, dock, but still there are people living in space. I mean, all that is phenomenal and we're not doing any of it right now. We've like completely shit the bed uh, in terms of our imagination and our love of science. But the conspiracy theory that it was faked on a soundstage because X, because something. What if, like, par- what if parts of it were faked? Why? Well, well, okay, I have lots of reasons why, if you want to go <laughs> into this. Here's, here's why that isn't true. Because uh, the CIA tried to poison Castro with an exploding cigar or something. Now, that was a small operation executed by a handful of people and it got out. And the fact that it got out is embarrassing. It's embarrassing that the CIA tried to kill Castro with an exploding cigar. It's and worse it's, that it it's, failed, right? It's in, it's yeah. Even more embarrassing that they failed. It makes them look like a total clown show. Like really you guys And the thing is Castro wasn't even that bad of a dude. Like in 19, in the 59, when Castro came to the United States, he was like, hey, United States, let's be friends. And we were like rude. And he went to the Soviets. It's not like he was some kind of Trotsky mastermind. So we try to kill him with an exploding cigar and that secret gets out. That's revealed. Even though in the entire CIA, there were probably nine people that knew about it. So parts of the moon landing are going to be faked. I mean, again, that's going to require hundreds of people's complicity. But more importantly, the Russians during that entire period were desperately clamoring for the tiniest little bit of tiniest scrap of information that they could use to discredit the space program, the United States military, our government, anything. Anything. They had spies everywhere. They were paying, they were paying people money for information that was, that was a, a chicken shit information. The Russians had every eye they could, and they had space eyes too. You know, they had space eyes just like we did, and they were space eyeing that, 
and they were photographing it to the best of their ability and they were spying on every corner of it. And if there was a shred of it that, that didn't pass the smell test, the, uh, the Soviets would have been all over it and they would have been all over the, the Kennedy assassination too. They wouldn't have let that incredible propaganda victory, incredible opportunity to destabilize the United States in the, in the cold war. They wouldn't have let that go by if, if they'd had any, anything on it. Like that's the thing. If the Cubans had played a role in the, in the J, uh, the Kennedy assassination, the Russians have no interest in being part of a, a conspiracy over it. They would not have, they wouldn't have failed to exploit it in some way. Like, I don't think they would have come out and said, ha ha ha, we did it. But they wouldn't have just, I mean, and you could, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a listener that's like, ah, well, the whole conspiracy, the whole revelation of all the aspects of the conspiracy theory may have been perpetrated by Russian agents. But it's like, well, they did a pretty bad job of it. Like everybody's just really, I believe that these uh, intelligence organizations are clown cars. <laughs> I think that they are, they're massively incompetent, overfunded, and uh, and 80% of their work is in justifying their budgets and in interagency competition and people listening to, to like transcribing wire intercepts and sending them into people's offices and then they go into secret safes. But the CIA couldn't predict 9-11. The CIA, the FBI, they had information. It wasn't that they were blind. I mean, they had, they knew those people were in the country. They knew they were bad people and they couldn't even get their shit together to share that information with each other. So this guy over here is like, Oh, these bad people are in America, but we can't find them. And this guy over here is like, Oh, we found these people, but I don't think they're bad. A clown car. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I know we've got, and I know that this show has a lot of listeners in, in the CIA. Yeah. Well, I know that too. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of deep, deep spooks yeah. and they are all nodding in agreement. Yeah. You're probably right. And so if these clown cars, which I adore, believe me, and if anyone listening wants to send me a, wants to send me a, a, a challenge coin from someone high up in the CIA, I will accept it because believe me, I'm, I, I was talking to a friend the other day down in Oregon. Cause you know, in Oregon you can buy, uh, stilettos, you can buy uh, switchblades. They're not illegal there. I was like, why do I not have 30 switchblades? I only have could two you, switchblades. Could you buy it and bring it to Seattle and have it in Seattle? Maybe not legally, but who cares? Right, who cares? I'm putting this right on out there. If the Washington State Patrol wants to come and search my house for switchblades, I would consider it a You'd matter be flattered. of flattered. Yeah. I would. I would. If I got that knock on the door, sir, we hear from an informant that you have illegal knives. I would say Officers, welcome to my abode. God, the stuff they would have to go through to get to them. Oh, oh, just think. You would just, just, you just, like, be, I could see you setting up a lawn chair and yeah. just sitting back and watching, you know, just sipping they're, some iced tea or an Arnold Palmer or something. And they're filtering, you know, they're like, here's a box. Oh, it's full of children's <laughs> tea sets from the 30s. Right. I've got to look through every one. 
you know, and I've just got the the switchblade secreted away in the hat band of right, a right. old Stetson, which is on the pi- bottom of a pile of thirty Stetsons. Good luck, good luck, desperados. But uh, but yeah, I don't. I I do believe that they are like inefficient and leaky sieves. These these organizations, and yet. At, on one hand, we mock them for their, you know, their frustrating inability to actually be good James Bondy groups, and then we credit them with the ability to pull off these massive scams, massive like world-altering scams. And you go, is this the same group? Is this the same group that? that was depicted in zero dark 30 as like four people with a birthday cake, welcoming a truck bomb all the way into their base because they're like, we got to trust these guys. We can't show that we don't trust them because then they'll know, they'll know we don't trust them. So we got to trust them even though they're driving in here in a truck bomb. That's going to kill us all like this group. And I don't, and I, and I mourn the loss of those people and I don't blame them. But that is not evidence of the superhuman ability to to do this kind of geopolitical super scam. Pull it off, keep it secret for 60 years. And then like certainly not then have it revealed by some Freedom of Information Act release of, of, of the Kennedy Papers. Although, Dan, they may have some they may have some juicy tidbits. Mm-hmm. But I suspect it's more about JFK having sex with Marilyn Monroe, which mm-hmm. again was kept secret, mm-hmm. you know, again was kept secret and also got out. I mean, how embarrassing, how embarrassing. Although that's actually a pretty cool story. I'd, I, I would, I would like to see more information about that affair, but I have a thing for Marilyn Monroe that I'm embarrassed by because Marilyn Monroe is everywhere. She's in every sock hop she's in every juke joint from here to oklahoma city but some of those pictures of (laughs) of uh norma jean kapuckney whatever i'm i'm pretty uh i'm pretty in in her thrall did you ever get the uh the rx bars did we ever get had those sent to you oh yeah what the fuck were those those showed up on my porch nobody told me they were com- they were coming they're for our sponsor today do you want to did you eat any of them did you try any <laughs> yeah of them? My, my mom uh my mom was like what's this box and i was like i don't know and we opened it there peter was there and there was this box of uh this box of of uh, bars and we each tried one peter peter frampton no peter uh my friend who's working on my basement oh of course that peter so we all we all tried a different bar. We all ate little bits of each other's bars. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're quite they're quite <laughs> uh, quite delicious and quite effective. So you like them? You you say thumbs up to the bars? Yeah, they're they are a they're a protein bar. Mm-hmm. So they have a you know they're hearty, right? They're not like a it's not a candy. Not, it's not a Snickers bar or something like that. It's not a candy bar. It's not like a crunchy uh, thing that you just m- mow down. It's like a protein bar that feels like the type of thing that you would get if you were an astronaut. And it's like, this is a condensed nutrition, like, um, a, like it's a big nutrition pill. And you would kind of, I mean, we all sort of ate them slowly and you felt like every bite had a, 
had a, a wallop. <laughs> that could be that could be like their slogan. Every bite has a wallop. Every bite has a wallop. <laughs> a wallop in every bite. <laughs> well, you you've hit on I think a bunch of the things that they want us to talk about, but I'm a big fan of these things too. I've been eating these things for years. I think they came out, yeah, I'm looking at the notes. They came out in 2013. I don't think I've been eating them since 2013, but I've probably been eating them for two years, maybe three years when they started to show up in uh, in the grocery store. And I think maybe the first time I saw them was at my gym. They were carrying them in there for a while. And what's cool about these and what makes them stand out is right on the front of the bar, it says exactly what's in the bar. Like they're all about just being straight up. This is what's in it. And it's like, Egg whites, dates, and nuts right in the package. They're 100% whole ingredients. They are exactly as you're describing them. These are the kinds of things that like I would eat one of these things, not just as a snack. Sometimes I don't know if they endorse this, but I would eat this sometimes instead of breakfast. You know, if you're on the go, you got to take your kids to school and you can get to the thing. You eat one of these, you're full. Now you don't even need a breakfast. I'm saying this. They're not telling me to say this. This is what I do. You do do your own thing. But what's nice is they don't add anything to it. There's no chemicals or like they don't add sugar. It's just straight up like delicious, natural, real food. And, uh, and these things really are great. Basically the ingredients, depending on which bar you get, they all have these in them. Three egg whites, two dates, six almonds. And then they have other stuff that depends on like what flavor. Did you have a flavor when you tried them? Did you have one that, you liked especially? Well, we all, so my mom and, uh, and Peter and I each had a different flavor. And, uh, you know, my, of course my mom was like, give me the chocolate peanut butter one. And then I had the raspberry one. Mm, I've never tried a raspberry. And Peter had a different flavor. I forget what it was. Berry. Some, well, no, it was berry. It was chocolate peanut butter. I forget what the third one was. I have them here in my refrigerator or in, above my refrigerator. There's uh, a maple one. If you got that and there's a sea salt okay, caramel cool. one, that's really good. Yeah. I think it might've been the sea salt. I don't know. We each traded bites and they were all what they were all as they were described. And my mom, of course, preferred the peanut butter one. I think we all liked the salted caramel one. And, uh, the blueberry one tasted like, um, you know, like a fruit, fruit pie. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, you know, they're, they're very dense and, um, and it felt like the type of thing that, you know, it's not like you eat one and you get a sugar rush right? and that, you know, and then you crash. It felt like the type of thing that you eat in place of lunch. Right. Yeah. Good. Good on a plane too. I brought these things with me and my son had one. I had one when we were flying and it, cause you know, most of the plane rides nowadays, what they give you that they call food is not not okay well sure unless you're sitting up in first class like a big high like roller you like yeah. and they're giving you some sort of tabbouleh with uh <laughs> with chicken right right well you can get these things directly from the rx bar they just got acquired somebody bought them too really yeah like uh like some big company acquired them but they're staying true. They're not changing. That's what they said. They made a big thing about that. They're, they're staying true themselves. And you can still get it there. They, we have a special discount, 25% off your first order. Go to rxbar.com slash 
roadwork and the promo code to use is roadwork. And I recommend they have like a, make sure they still have this before I tell people to go get it. Yeah, there it is. Uh, 12 bars. I don't know. Can I, I'm going to say what it is. 12 bars for 20 bucks. And, uh, here's, you get this box of a sampler of 12. You get two uh-huh. chocolate sea salts, two peanut butters, two blueberries, two chocolate, uh, coconut chocolate, two mixed berry, two peanut butter. These things are so good. Uh, people ought to just go and get these and you'll be set. You'll be set. You just get one of these boxes. You're set. This is the type of stuff that you keep in, you know, you keep in your small bag, right? Yeah. You're going to, you are going to, you're going to need these. You don't know, you don't know when that moment's going to come, but when it does, you're going to be glad that you had it. That's right. So thank you to RxBar, rxbar.com slash roadwork, promo code roadwork, and you will save 25%. What are some other good conspiracy theories? That, well, that the, the one that like? I've been on the, a lot recently which is, I don't know if this qualifies as a conspiracy theory at all or not, but it's interesting to talk about is Andy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. That he's still alive? Well, I have a theory about that. But uh, so here, for people who don't know this, and there's a great and I think underrated Jim Carrey movie called Man on the Moon, which is all about uh, Andy Kaufman's life. And they recently released or are releasing um, uh, a, a sort of a behind the scenes documentary, I guess, of what went on. Uh, it's a it's a Netflix documentary and it's called here it is Jim and Andy, the great beyond, which shows all the behind the scenes stuff. Apparently, Jim Carrey kind of went very, very much into character to play uh, to play Andy Kaufman for this movie, so much so that he kind of almost sort of like lost his own identity, apparently. But uh-huh. he would like stay in Andy Kaufman, uh, you know, throughout the entire filming of the movie, never broke character and actually couldn't break character in some ways. So anyway, th- this this is back behind the scenes footage is finally allowed to come out and it's um it's out and so i wanted to sort of prepare to watch that by re-watching the movie again which is man on the moon again there's a 1999 movie so i re-watched that and since okay so andy kaufman died in 1984 of i think it's like large cell lung cancer, large cell carcinoma, lung lung cancer, something like that. Mm -hmm. And he had often talked before he died that the ultimate prank, then he was known for playing these pranks, right? The ultimate prank would be to fake his own death. And he talked about it a lot. And he talked about it. It's a good prank. A really good prank. And he talked about it to his like writing partner, uh, Bob Smuda. And, Mm -hmm. He, Bob uh, played in that movie by Paul Giamatti. Um, they would work together on writing stuff, but also uh, they both would play Tony Clifton, who was sort of Andy's bizarre alter ego. And both of these guys would play it because once it got out that Tony Clifton was Andy Kaufman, Tony Clifton would come out on stage somewhere 
and then Andy would show up in the audience or or backstage and stick his hat out or something like that and goof goof around. So it it perpetuated this myth that it was they were separate people. Uh, so he already was like into this thing of you know and of playing different characters and faking things and faking a death. And so like, it's all very reasonable. And so for a long time, there was this rumor, conspiracy theory, whatever you want to call it, that Andy Kaufman didn't actually die in 1984. And that in fact, he was faking it and then was going and his, his quote about it, I'm paraphrasing it, but it was something like, well, if I was a lightweight, I'd fake it for a couple years and then I'd come back out. But if I'm serious about it, I'll wait 30 years. Well, it's, it was 30 years, I guess, three years ago. And he mm-hmm. did not come back. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, but I have a theory as to why. Because I, um, I believe it's possible that he faked his death. And in fact, mm-hmm. Bob Smuda has come out since then in a book that he wrote with Andy Kaufman's, I guess, then girlfriend, where in the book he basically says... Oh, I totally now I totally think that he did fake it and I hope he comes back soon. Now, did they do that to sell more books? Who knows? Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting, but I have a theory why he didn't come back. And mm-hmm. I, I think he must have faked his death and planned to come back, but then died in real life <gasps> and couldn't come back because he died. What a wrinkle. I know. Aye, 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 aye. What do you think about that? Do you think he just just died? Or do you think he faked I, his death? I love the idea of Andy Kaufman faking his death and staying quiet for 40 years. 40 years. Just an extra lo- 10, an extra 10 just to screw with us. I love it. I love it. And the thing is, he could, if he kept that secret to three people, he could do it. He could pull it off if he was crazy enough, if he was committed enough and, and watch that, that movie get made about him and watch those REM songs rocket to the top of the charts and never, ever, 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 ever come out and say, it's me and wait 40 years until most of the people that knew about him and cared about him are either dead or super old. And there's precedent, right? Deep Throat stayed quiet until he was on his deathbed. And all those years that, that everyone in America, but especially the Washington insiders and all the foggy bottom weirdos. And I mean, that was a world where Deep Throat was absolutely in the intelligence community surrounded every day going to work by intelligence agents. And he had secretly sort of mightily contributed to the downfall of a president. Mm -hmm. But that was a secret confined to three people or at max five, two of them journalists that still believed in a code. Right. Right. One of them, Deep Throat himself, who was, I mean, in a way, he was like a Robert Hansen. He had an axe to grind. He was in the, he was in a position to know, but rather than do it for money, 
he did it for, I, you know, revenge, I guess. Or, I mean, you could make a case that Deep Throat was acting out of altruistic love of democracy. Mm-hmm. But then why all the cloak and dagger? Like, I'm not going to tell you the answer, but if you, right. if you say if, it, I won't, I'll you tell you if it. you're not wrong. Right. I'll tap my hoof three times. Right. <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned it. Cause I just watched all the president's men just to finish it up a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think about that kind of thing all the time. Like things like that happen, things like that e- exist and they do happen. And the fact that they do occasionally happen adds fuel to the fire that maybe these other things could be happening too. It does except, except you have to ask yourself, does this conspiracy extend beyond three to five principles? And if it goes out to 10, if 10 people know about it and all 10 of them are CIA agents who are sworn to secrecy and don't even tell their families what they do for a living, then mm, okay, but still the Castro cigar thing. But if it, if it extends to 20 people, one of those people is low enough on the totem pole or has a, has an agenda that supersedes their, you know, their secret oath. You can't, you can't do it. You can't keep a secret among 20 people. I don't care who they are, but Andy Kaufman living somewhere on a beach in Mexico having, I don't know what, paid for reconstructive surgery and never interacting with the people in the town, living like Osama bin Laden in a walled garden, never going into town and doing a Tony Clifton imitation at the local uh, cabana, but just silently waiting, reveling. It's, it's, it's tantalizing, but I don't know, man. I mean, was I prepared to never learn the identity of Deep Throat? No, because Deep Throat was going to die. And yeah, Woodward and Bernstein said they would reveal it when he, when he did die. Woodward would out him. And so for all three of them to die in a car crash at the same time, seemed pretty unlikely. One of the survivors would say, okay, that was me or that was him. And he came out and he, I mean, he looked around and he was like, I'm not going to get prosecuted for this. And I'd like to go out with a little bit of fanfare for this thing that I did. I'd like a little bit of, even that guy wanted his parade. Um, and I think, I think increasingly, you know, that the era where the FBI tar- targeted the mafia and this organization, which was, which was bound to itself through racial ties, cultural ties, language ties, like community ties, and the code of Omerta, which is to die rather than, than rat. Mm-hmm. And the FBI got in there and weaseled around turned brother against brother and one after another, those guys broke their code because when they looked at it from a self-interested perspective, the FBI had set it up where 
they knew that their friends weren't going to, their friends weren't actually looking out for them and they were going to end up dead or they could rat it out and the feds would relocate them somewhere and give them a living. And the, the FBI managed to, managed to break up the mafia, but they didn't break up the mafia by increasing the amount of secrecy. They broke up the mafia by, by revelation, mm. by encouraging people to rat. And even that group started ratting on each other like crazy. And you could say like, oh, well, they, you know, they're criminals. They didn't have a code. They had the strongest code, criminal code. And I mean, at least as strong or stronger than the CIA's vow of silence because a lot more mafia guys got shot in the back of the head without ratting on their friends than CIA agents have gotten shot in the back of the head. I say that pretty confidently, although I don't think they've published figures for either group. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, it doesn't take much to shine a light into even the craziest like secret stories. Um, because there's always somebody that wants to, that wants to rat or, you know, that just wants the people love opera and they want to be part of an opera. Uh, they want to play some role in Tosca. I don't know. The, the conspiracy theory, the, the, like the one that really attracts me is the death of William Colby. So Colby was the director of the CIA and he was, he was director of the CIA through everything. I mean, through this, is the guy that went out on the canoe, right? Yeah. Okay. He went out on a canoe out from his house and they found him washed up on a very nearby beach implausibly with his canoe full of sand drowned. And at the time he was without, he was without any authority. He was in his, he was in his retirement. This was it. You know, he'd, he'd gone out and he was living in this little, little cabin and just sort of enjoying being a, being a little old guy. And he meets this untimely death, which everyone agrees is weird as fuck. Mm -hmm. And that just, just, it just in, enthralls me because that I do believe is probably some last little bit of payback from somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's real easy to keep that a secret forever because that's just in the job description of like professional CIA inside baseball. There's no, nobody has anything to gain by ever revealing that story. That's just a little bit of end of game 
end of line, uh, almost a professional courtesy, you know, um, better to die that way, <laughs> better to be killed by either, a, either some rival intelligence agency who still some, you know, Stasi colonel mm-hmm. that has some blood <laughs> oath that he made in 1974. He's like, I'm one day. Never rest, Bill Colby. One day, you'll meet an untimely death by my hand. Or somebody in the organization that's just like, you know, those Pentagon papers, that whole family jewels business, you're going to pay for that one day. Like, <clears throat> that kind of thing appeals to me. It really does. And whether whether the simplest explanation or the official one where he went out in his canoe and drowned Got got swamped or something, like yeah okay. I mean that's that's an example of the real story being just too boring. It's just too boring. I really want the other thing. Why do you think that we as human beings look for these kinds of alternative explanation for things? Is it really that something just comes across as boring and that's not good enough because we watch so much TV and see so many movies and read so many books? Is it? Is it as simple as that? Like we, we look for there to be something interesting because our own lives are so horribly boring that it, it, he can't have just had a heart attack and fallen over in his canoe and died or, you know, does it, does it have to be something else? No, I don't think it's boring. I think it's powerlessness that we fear. Like we don't like to feel powerless and we don't like to feel small. And we don't like to feel that the, that the world, the universe is ambivalent to us. And so all of our human traditions are about imparting meaning to random events or events where nature just, I mean, nature has no interest in us. Right? I mean, this is the wonderful thing about staring out at the ocean. The ocean does not care about you at all. It doesn't want you to die. It's not trying to kill you. I make jokes like that all the time. Like, oh, the ocean's trying to kill us. It's not trying to kill us. It doesn't care at all. If you die in the ocean or if you don't die in the ocean, it's meaningless to the ocean. And yet all we do is sit around trying to say like, oh, well, he was meant to go that way or God ordains it. All of our gods are just, are just personifications of, of a lack of meaning to random events or, or just inevitable events. Like if you climb up a tree drunk, your chance of falling out of a tree and dying really go up compared to someone who didn't climb a tree. It isn't that God decided, but that's all, you know, 90% of what our gods do, 99% is make that kind of decision. And so now we don't have as many gods and even a lot of the people that profess to believe in God are, are also, and profess to believe passionately in God they don't really have a, a super strong foundation in God. You know, I don't think most of the most virulent 
religious people have actually read the documents that lay out the story. They've just heard the high notes as interpreted by some interlocutor or some priest that has a vested interest in you hearing the story the way they, they're laying it out. So they don't really know the story and they still feel powerless. That powerlessness is so terrifying. And for there to be unseen hands, it's not that, you know, it's not that I'm poor because I didn't, it's not, you know, like this whole business of, of, of poor people deserving their fate because they didn't work hard enough. That's not really the, the, the epidemic in our thinking. Mm -hmm. The problem is that there are a lot of poor people that work really hard, super hard, harder than anybody else. And they are, then they remain poor. And it's, it's very, um, it's very appealing even to, to right-minded people, you know, to people that aren't given to conspiracy, to attribute that to a, an enormous class conspiracy, a Marxist conspiracy, where the ownership class is working with unseen hands to keep the working class down. And that, on the left, is you know, that's received knowledge. We all, we all more or less believe that narrative, mm -hmm. but it's an, it's another example of the unseen hand that is the explainer for why there is injustice, for why there is, um, why there, why a human life is full of death and suffering. And the left right now is caught in a frenzy of this. Uh, the unseen hand of white supremacy, the unseen hand of, of, um, there are, I, I don't have to name them all. There are 15 unseen hands right now that we attribute all of our, all of all injustice to. And we see evidence of those unseen hands, but in the end we can never quite pinpoint the locus of them. And so there are these diffuse unseen hands where, where the unseen hand is a mood or a tradition or a culture. But it's all by way of trying to explain why this person works really hard their whole life and never, ever, ever manages to get ahead. And this person over here hardly works at all and gets all the luxury and is a, a boorish asshole and still manages to escape punishment. And the, in my estimation, the, the tragic story is just as boring as Lee Harvey Oswald shooting Kennedy, which is that that is just it. That's just how it shall ever be because there is no justice because there, because nature has no sense of justice. No one ever get no animal that is unfairly destroyed is ever afforded any um, any recourse to that. And within our human civilization, we've built institutions that attempt to provide justice, and those institutions are flawed, but they are doing a much better job than God ever did. Right. 
But those institutions are only as good as our support for them. And if you believe that those institutions are built on unjust principles, you know, you kind of fail to see like how fragile they are and how whatever principles they're built upon, they're unprecedented. You know, there's never been more opportunity for justice than there is now. It's not like back in history, there was a time of great justice. <laughs> like the entire march of civilization has been to arrive at this moment where we have the greatest opportunity for recourse in history. And yet our story of now is that it is the time of, of the greatest injustice. And it's all, it's all, I think a, a part of this mind that, that loves conspiracy to believe that these systems are under the control of hidden systems. And that explains why I can't get ahead. That explains why my rent is so high. That explains why I feel so oppressed and, and yet I really do believe that in most cases, those feelings are your natural feeling of waking up every morning with no clear purpose, uh, no clear purpose to human endeavor beyond expanding like spores. And even though the, even the religious argument is not one of a clear purpose other than to create a kingdom in heaven, which doesn't seem to be much of a purpose universally, right? Like, so what if all these souls ascend to heaven? Who cares? Do people 10 light years away give it good goddamn? What did that accomplish? It didn't accomplish anything. And that is a, that is a like fundamental ennui. And so it's like, oh, I mean, I, I'm susceptible to it every day to think like, who's keeping me down? Who is, whose thumb is on me? It's like, oh, mine. <laughs> every time, you know, Twitter's not keeping me down. It's my thumb. Right. That's pushing me down. My, my, my lack of ability, the fact that I'm not famous isn't keeping me down and it's not some conspiracy. And that, you know, for, in my creative life, I mean, the number one thing that a 21 year old musician who isn't famous says is that the reason they're not famous is because the cool kids don't get what they're, the cool kids hate them and are trying to keep them out. Like there are li these little conspiracies all around us. Oh, the cool kids don't like my band or, you know, nobody wants, I didn't ever get to be on midnight because the cool kids don't think that I'm cool enough or, or Mark Marin. Every time somebody mentions my name on his show, he changes the subject. <laughs> uh, but you know, Mark Marin is the ocean. As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't care whether I, he's not trying to kill me, but he doesn't care if I die. 